Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. If I haven't seen you or haven't seen you in a while, uh, welcome. Welcome to Grace Family Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Nathan Hurst, and I get to uh, deliver the word this morning. And we are in a series called Fear Less, where we really are trying to focus on living a lifestyle free of fear. Today, we're actually talking about how God will help us overcome the fear, and a specific fear, the fear of failure. For a lot of folks, I believe fear of failure is one of the top 10 fears that keeps them from pursuing the impossible, pursuing what God's called them to, pursuing who they could be. Uh, most of the time, we have this, this internal mechanism that says you need to stop and slow down because what if it doesn't work out? What if you fail? Now, we talked about our what ifs last week a little bit. We, we defined those a little more, but today we're really focusing on that what if idea of what if it doesn't work out? What if, what if you fail? The fear of failure, the simple idea, what if, what if the faith life that I'm living, what if the calling that God's pointing me to doesn't work out? What if it fails? What if I fail? What if the people around me fail me? What if it's not my fault? What if somebody else fails me, but it's still simply a fear of failure? Generally, fear of failure is a faith issue. It's an issue where we haven't built up the overcoming type of faith. We, we get overcome by fear, where faith is supposed to always overcome fear. And in fearing failure, we often, we often don't ask for the impossible. We often don't ask for the big thing in life. We often don't ask God for that, that impossible moment that we're moving towards. In fact, I can say this about failure that most folks that do anything in life fail over and over and over again. In fact, those of you that are familiar with Michael Jordan's story, you know he's, he's known for those free throw shots, especially late in the game. He doesn't miss. He was the guy that they knew if they fouled him late in the game, he was going to make all of the shots that were handed to him. He was going to turn the tide of the game that he was in. And they asked him, you know, Michael, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get to that place where you don't miss a shot? How do you get to that place where all the pressure's on? It's the game-winning moment. You've got to set your team up for victory. How do you make those shots? He said, quite frankly, he shoots about 1,000 free throws a day. That means he's missed in his career, in that practice time, hundreds, if not hundreds, and hundreds, and thousands, and thousands of free throws. Missed, didn't make them, they didn't go in the bucket. In fact, even in his career at pivotal moments, there were moments when he missed, not very often, but there were moments when he missed even when the pressure was on. But we see him as one of the greatest basketball players of a generation, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, probably, in my opinion, the greatest of all time, yet he wasn't a man who was without failure. He wasn't a man who didn't miss a shot. He wasn't a man who was perfect in his endeavors. The fact is, if we're going to accomplish anything in life, there are going to be moments of failure. You are going to fail. You are going to fall short. It happens. It's not fun when it happens. It's not like we get up and go, man, I can't wait to fail today. Can't wait to fail my wife or my kids. Can't wait to fail at my job. No, it happens, though. There are moments where we set out to do something and maybe it stretches us. Maybe it's the impossible. We find ourselves coming up short. But the fear of failure keeps us from asking for the big thing. It keeps us from asking God for that impossible moment. It keeps us from asking God for that big, that big goal that we would put out in front of ourselves. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27. We'll read 27 through 30. 
And Matthew tells a story of particular men who, and they're determined to ask. They're determined to ask the impossible. They're determined in their heart of hearts to ask God for something that was big. They're determined to ask God for something that most of the culture at that time couldn't even fathom asking. It says this, and Jesus went out from there and two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on a son of David. When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he, Jesus, touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Here's two men asking of the impossible. Now, let's think of their situation for a moment. They're blind, blind likely from birth. We don't know the whole story, but we do know in that, that time, in that culture, there was no optometrist to go to. You couldn't figure out how blind you were and what was the likelihood of you were receiving your sight again. This was a real physical impairment that was gonna detour the whole of their life. In fact, most blind folks were resigned to sitting by the side of the road or maybe sitting outside the church door and jingling their cup with a few coins in it and hoping that folks would give them something, some aid, some alms. And they'd beg for a few penance to be laid in their cup so that they could make it another day. This was what most blind people were resigned to. They didn't have much of a life. They knew that if there was any way they were going to reclaim what was theirs, if there was any way they were going to reclaim the life they should have, there was a miracle that needed to happen. And they knew the only one who could answer the call for that miracle was Jesus. So they find out where he's at and the question hits hard. As he sees these two blind men fervently seeking his mercy. He sees these two blind men and he asks them the hard question, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He knew what their question was. Do you believe I'm able to regain your sight or to help your sight be regained? Their immediate answer was, well, yes, of course we do. But the fear of failure will stop us in our tracks from even asking the impossible question, let alone responding with the idea that, yes, God, I believe you can do the impossible. The fear of failure will, will cut us off in our path from even saying, okay, God, you say you're God, you say you're big and bad, you say you're the, the creator of the universe, you say you're the one who carved the oceans, the borders of the oceans with your finger, you say you're the one who put the stars in their sockets, so I've gotta ask the question, it's an impossible moment in my life, it's an impossible impasse. God, what are you gonna do? The backside of that question is, do we believe that he's actually going to show up, or are we so choked out by the fear of failure that we're afraid to really ask the hard question? Are we so choked out by the fear of failure that we don't even ask for the impossible? You know, we say that we serve a God who can do anything and all things. Yet there are so many times in life we, we, we just muddle through the hard stuff and we fail to ask him. We say that we serve a God who can save us from the biggest impossibility of life, that we would be restored, that our fallen human nature, the sinful nature that we carry, would be restored back to its rightful state. And in being restored to its rightful state, we would find heaven as our home when this life is over. That the total of sin in our life, past, present, and future sin, would be wiped away because of what Jesus did on that cross. We say we believe it, Yet at times we fail to ask him for things that look impossible in our life. The question is, do we really believe? Do we have the faith in our hearts and in our life that says, yes, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe God that you can do the impossible.
The fear of failure will often keep us from asking the impossible, but what is it that turns the tide of the fear of failure? What is it that turns the tide of most of the fears in our life? It's truly faith in God, truly a faith in his word and in, his, in the personhood of who he is. It's a faith of, of a relationship that's deep-seated. It's a, it's a faith that God actually honors. You know, the Bible talks about different levels of faith and working through faith and that every man is given a measure of faith. So we have a, a belief structure in our heart. We have a, a way, a, 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 an internal mechanism that helps us believe, that helps us have faith. Yet we have to sometimes supercharge it. We have to sometimes feed it some fuel so that it can go after those impossible moments. Point number one for today is if there's a faith that I believe honors God, it's, it's faith that believes when it doesn't see. The Bible's really clear to start out this faith process with this concept that you will go after things that you can't see, that you don't have yet materialized in your possession, that you can't touch and you can't lay hold of, yet you know it's real. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one says it this way. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we can't see that there's a faith in this life that we have a confident expectation that what we know to be true will actually happen. Every woman who's pregnant has this faith. Every woman who's pregnant has this knowing moment. My wife took a pregnancy test. In fact, the first time we were pregnant, she took like five or six because I didn't believe the first one. I didn't realize you couldn't have a false positive. I, and I was hoping we had a lot of false positives because I wasn't ready to be a dad yet. So she took a couple pregnancy tests, but I didn't have, she didn't have to take a pregnancy test to prove she was pregnant. She knew inside of her that something had changed. She knew deep down that something was different. She, she didn't feel the baby kicking. She didn't necessarily even feel it growing. She knew that something had changed. Faith is the same way. When faith apprehends our heart, no one has to tell you that you're in faith. You have a knowing. You don't have to take a test to prove it. You have a knowing, an internal knowing that says, yes, there's a confident expectation. I know this is going to work out. Before we ever took a pregnancy test, she knew that she was pregnant. And in knowing she was pregnant, she knew on the other side of those nine months was a baby that someday we would hold in her arms. Now, eventually that baby grew. Eventually that baby grew as a seed in her belly and have developed into a full human person and was birthed. Now we graciously have him in our home every day. We love that kid. There's a, there's a hope we even have in his future that as he grows and develops, the man that he will, he will become. But no one had to prove to my wife that she was pregnant. In the same way, when we plant a seed, it's springtime, and we'll plant seeds, and if someone gives you a seed for a tomato plant and you plant it in your garden, no one has to tell you that tomatoes are going to come up. That if those seeds take root and germinate and that plant starts to grow, no one has to tell you at the end of the day you're going to have tomatoes. In fact, you'd be super shocked to find out you had apples where tomatoes were to be. Some would blow your mind. You'd, be, you'd call all kinds of news organizations and say, I got magic seeds because watch this. They say tomatoes, but they grow apples and they grow apples on a vine. Never seen that before. We don't have to have someone convince us of the hope that we have of the future that's placed in front of us when we have true faith. 
It's not that there's a picture of a tomato on that package that gives you faith. It's that you know that a seed for tomato brings tomato plants to reality. The truth is in our life that there's a seed of faith that's implanted. And when that seed of faith is implanted, that in that moment you have a knowing, an expectation of what is to come in your future. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 28, Jesus says it a little different. When Jesus had gone indoors, well, this is recapping the story, the blind men had come to him and they asked him again, or he asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. That there was a faith in them, an internal knowing, a concept of their future. They had in the back of their hearts and in their mind a picture of what it would be like to see. And they chased down that picture to the end that it put them in front of the God of the universe. And when they found Jesus, they knew they found their answer in him. And that if he would, that their sight would be restored. You and I live in that same faith pattern that we get hold of something in our mind, that we get a hold of something in our heart and we see it manifest before it actually comes true, that we see it, we know it, we hold it in the imagination of our heart, in our faith life, we can see it as pure and as plain as day. And God, somewhere in the middle, there's a miracle that's performed and what we see in our future becomes a reality. Many of us apply this when we go on, when we go on a diet go on a diet and we'll start to see a different image of a person that we want to sculpt our body into. And in doing so, we start, to, we start to exercise and we start to cut out foods in our diet and we start to eat differently. And over time, the mental picture we have in our mind of who we are starts to become that person in reality. My wife does this every single day of the world. I call her blue steel face when she's putting on makeup. She does this puckering moment. She starts to like draw on this makeup and she's literally putting on her face the person she intends to become. She's literally drawing on her face and putting and smoothing out the makeup and transforming into that person to show the world every day that she gets ready. Many of us are in a process of faith. We just sometimes allow fear to overcome it. Many of us are in a process of faith, but at times we allow fear to strangle it out. There's a second type of faith, a faith that persists when nothing changes. There's a faith that persists that I believe pleases God when it doesn't look like anything's changing. There's a faith that persists when the obstacles of life are still in front of you, they're still mounting, they're still difficult, they're still hard, but we persist on anyway. In the science of development, this is called the dip. Now, if I took... A group of you, if you were so inclined to learn how to be snowboarders, which I have no intention of ever trying again because it was super difficult. But if you take a five-year-old and, and teach them how to snowboard, they, they pick it up pretty quickly. You take a 45-year-old and teach them how to snowboard, it takes a long time to figure that out. And there's this track where you start to develop as a snowboarder. You start to get better and better and better. And you go from point one to point two, and there's this linear track where you start to improve. And then all of a sudden, you hit the dip. You hit this moment where you start to regress, and you go backwards. In fact, most of life and development in life is this way, where we see progress, and then all of a sudden, we hit a wall, and we start to regress for a moment. And in that regression is where most people give up. 
But snowboarding is a perfect case because once you hit the dip and you overcome that point of regression, that if you actually push, push past that issue, that on the backside, you'll become an excellent snowboarder in a much quicker amount of time. Whether you're five years old or 45, you've just got to get past that dip moment. Now, the five-year-old takes to it much faster. The 45-year-old, it takes a much longer process. But if you'll push through the dip, the reward on the other side is so much bigger. And I don't care if it's your marriage, if it's your finances, if it's your job, if it's a new career, if it's starting a business, if it's parenting your kids, you're going to come into moments where you've made progress and then you hit a dip. You're gonna come into moments where you've made progress and then you've backed down just a little bit. You're gonna come into moments where you are scaling the ladder and all of a sudden you feel a little bit of regression and you've got to decide in that moment, is your faith persisting enough that though it looks like nothing's changing, you're gonna continue on or is your faith so weak in that moment that you're gonna fall prey to the fear of failure and just give up? I can't make it anyway. You've got to tell yourself before you hit the dip how you're going to react in any endeavor. It doesn't matter, again, if it's financial, if it's starting a business, if it's parenting, because good Lord, aren't there moments in parenting where you hit that dip? You hit that wall and you think, God, how am I ever going to get through this with this kid? God, why'd you give him to me, Jesus? All I want to do is give him back to you. Like today, if you'll take him. We hit those moments in parenting, we hit those moments in our relationships, and we wonder if we can struggle and push through and muster up enough faith to get past the dip. And the reality is, on the backside of that effort, it's like a rocket ship. The gains we make are so great. And in Colossians in chapter 4 and verse 2, it said this way, Be persistent in prayer. Keep alert as you're praying. Give thanks to God. So what we're seeing here in Colossians is, is this example, that when we're in the moment where it's hard and it's difficult, and we're praying through the hardships, and we're praying through the difficulties, that we need to stay persistent, move through with faith, get through the dip, scale the wall, get over the mountain in faith. But while you're praying, while you're in this process, he's very clear and he says, keep alert. Know what's around you. Listen, know that you're in that moment where it's hard. Know that you're in that moment where it's difficult. Know that you're in that moment that you need to scale another obstacle. But also know in this moment that there's a great reward on the other side. And that's why he says, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God even in those moments where it's difficult and it's hard. Give thanks to God in those moments where you're persisting and it doesn't feel like there's any change coming. Give thanks to God because on the other side is a great victory that you can't even imagine. On the other side is an upscale that is so fast and so quick and such a shot of growth that it will invigorate you in a way that you can't even imagine. But you have to persist and push through. When I was younger, I used to follow the sport of bodybuilding uh, quite a bit. I, I liked the sport. I liked watching these massive monsters of muscle just, man, put on more and more muscle. I was listening to an interview of one of the, of one of the contestants, and he was talking about the visualization process he goes through in order to add mass and muscle. Because at that level, you know, whether you believe it or not, there's all kinds of drugs involved, but that's a different scenario. But there's all kinds of things they're putting in their body and all kinds of things they're doing to their body to advance it, to grow and it is growing as fast as anything is, as any person has ever grown, man. These guys are just throwing muscle on. Hundreds of pounds of muscle every year combined in the contestants. 
And this one particular gentleman was talking about his visualization process and how when he goes in the gym and he needs to add to his shoulders, he just pushes through the weights and it you know, really doesn't matter to him what exercise his trainer has him doing. He's visualizing the muscles starting to grow and develop and grow and develop. He's pushing past, even though in the moment it doesn't look like anything's changing, and the growth is incremental. And every time he looks in that mirror every single day, he doesn't necessarily see the advancement that he's hoping for. He knows that next year when he stands on that stage, he's going to be a totally different, developed person. We have to get that kind of mentality. That though we might stare adversity in the face, though we might stare in the face a picture of ourselves that looks the same day to day to day, that there is movement, that there is growth, that there's a persistence, that even though it doesn't look like it's changing, something deep is actually changing. And the next point here is there's a faith that works when it doesn't make sense. There's a faith, I believe, that honors God that works when it doesn't make practical sense at all. It did not make practical sense for Lori and I to do many of the things we did in our life. In fact, I can remember one moment where we had a great job and we were in Louisville, Kentucky and everything was working out great and we loved the church and church loved us, everything was going really well. And we just felt like, man, it's time to move. We gave ourselves two weeks. It was the stupidest thing we've ever done as a young couple. We're gonna go from one job to the next in two weeks and it's all gonna work out. It's all gonna be fabulous. In fact, we knew where we wanted to move. We're gonna move down south into New Orleans. We felt really called to move down to this church and we're gonna apply. They're gonna accept this. It's all gonna work out in two weeks. It doesn't happen. Well, it did. We didn't miss one paycheck. Went from two weeks at one employment and all the way down south into New Orleans to our next place of employment, had the house all set up, already working in the jobs in less than two weeks, had the interviews, accepted the, uh, accepted the offers, and everything came together. And everything about it looked ridiculous. It didn't make sense. I remember talking to my dad about it, and he's scratching his head thinking, kid, you are young, and you are dumb, and you are making one of those young and dumb decisions. You need to think through this. And he was right in the natural. There was nothing, about, if you came to me and said, Pastor, we're going to quit our jobs, and in two weeks, we're going to have better jobs in this other situation all the way down south in New Orleans. I'd look at you and be like, you are nuts. But good luck to you. Hope it works out. But there's a faith that sometimes apprehends our heart, that even when it doesn't make sense, we know that God's backing our decision. There's a faith that we can, we can hold on to, that even though it doesn't look like it's going to work out in the natural, that when we, when we grab onto it, Man, God performs a miracle. In James chapter two in verse 22, we see James speaking to the patriarch of the faith, the guy that kind of started this whole faith movement that the Jewish uh, uh, people back and that we find our Christian roots in. And it says this, you see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Listen, there, there's a lot of folks that talk about all the faith they have. Oh, I can pray for the sick and the sick are gonna get healed. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I have faith that God can move mountains. I have faith that God can do this and I have faith that God can do that and there's no action behind anything they do. That's not faith. That's definitely not the type of faith that works out even when it doesn't seem to make practical sense. There was a faith that was instituted in Abraham's life that he knew that he had to make a move even if it didn't make sense, but he had to make the move. He had to attach action to his faith. 
He couldn't just sit around and talk about, well, God showed up and talked to me, and man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see a huge transition in, in the spiritual life of God's people. I'm going to be that seed bed that God's going to grow and develop a whole nation out of. No, no, you know. He had to literally attach work to his faith. Now, the Bible says faith without works is dead. That's true. Faith doesn't require works to be instituted. Faith doesn't require works for us to develop and to grow faith. That's, that's just works-based mentality where we say, listen, I've got to do this with my hand, and once I do these certain things, and once I, once I perform as I'm supposed to perform, then faith will arise in our heart. No, no, the Bible says first faith happens in our heart. It apprehends us. And then once that faith is apprehended in our heart, then there's action that's applied that proves to us and the world around us that the faith that we have is realized, that the faith that we have is true, that the faith that we have, that it actually has a purpose and a goal and a determination, that we come to a place where we recognize that our faith is made complete when action is, is tied to it. There, there are so many folks, and I, and, I, and I hate to stress this too much, but man, they pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. They give and give and give. They serve and serve and serve. And there's never action behind it. And I don't mean that some of those things aren't action points, but they're just doing that to appease a religious deity. They're not doing those things. They're not connecting with those actions in a lifestyle of faith. That there comes a point where we believe what God's called us to. We believe the impossibility that he's birthed in our hearts and we take that next step. So for some of you, it might be starting the business that God's called you to, maybe a career change. And you're thinking, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, can't, I don't wanna do it, God. I don't know how it's gonna work out. It doesn't make sense right now, God. He's saying, listen, take that first step of faith. Maybe it's going back to school to get that degree that, that you always wanted to get you don't have time in your family. You don't seem to have time in your schedule. It doesn't look like it's going to work out, yet he might be calling you to take that first step, take that first class. Maybe the first step is just filling out the financial paperwork to see if you can get the aid that you need to get through. I don't know what the first step is for you, but I know this, that faith is never truly perfected in our life until we take action steps. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face. And sometimes Christians are great at that. Sometimes Christians are so good at talking faith that there's no action behind it. I wanna encourage you that whatever God's calling you to, whatever he's motivating in your heart and in your life, whatever goal that he's setting out in front of you, that you would attack it with some action plan. Second Corinthians chapter four, <coughs> excuse me. And verse four says this, Satan who is the God of the world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. There are some of us at times that are, our hearts and our minds are blinded to the potential of faith. Now, this is specifically talking about the idea of salvation, that, <clears throat> that folks are blinded to the concept to the good nature, to the goodwill of God, to the gift that is Jesus Christ. They're blinded to that, to that story. But it can go much further than that where folks are blinded to the potential that we have in faith. That you and I can become blinded to the action step that we can take to see God show up in a miraculous way. 
that we can come to a place where we, we are trying to develop and to, to furnish a lifestyle of faith, yet we're blind to that action step, that if we'll take it, God's faith will be fully realized in our life. I don't know for you where that blind spot could be. For many of us, it's at different points in time. Lori and I, when we were starting this church and God had moved in our heart to start the church, I had no thought in my mind about coming back to the Quad Cities. In fact, I had no thought in my mind about being a senior pastor. I was happy being an associate pastor. I was very happy doing youth and young adults work. We had a great team of people around us. I loved every minute of it. But then something began to change. And I can remember sitting in a small McDonald's in Pittsburgh, in Cranberry Township, a suburb out there. And Lori and I are just sobbing through our French fries, trying to choke down French fries through our tears. As God's moving on our heart, that something is changing, that there's an impossibility that he's called us to, that there's a goal, a destiny that God has called us to that didn't make sense in the moment. Why would you leave financial stability? Why would you leave a good job? Why would you leave a city with three professional sports teams? That's the one that hit hurt the most, I'm gonna be honest with you. Why would God move on your heart this way? It didn't make sense. Yet we had to be honest and recognize that God was doing something in us that was greater than us. God was doing something in us that had the, the seeds of an impossibility. In your life, God could be doing the same thing and likely is. He's likely turning over opportunities so that you can be who he's called you to be, so that you can fulfill the purpose and destiny that he's placed in your life. There's a few points I want to talk over as we cap as we put a cap on this series to fear less, there's some things that I would like you to, to mill over in your heart and your mind, things that you can take home and talk over with your spouse or a trusted friend. The first one is this. What does the size of your request of God reveal about the strength of your faith in him? What does the size of the request? It's gotta be something big, man. We call them BHAGs here, big, hairy, audacious goals. Man, they're big. They're crazy. There's stuff we can't do on our own. We know that there, there, there's something that, that is impossible about the goal and that if God doesn't intervene, we're gonna, fall we're gonna fall flat on our face. We're gonna fail. But we're not gonna allow fear of failure to stop us from asking big. What does the size of your request say about the strength of your faith in him? Take a moment and discuss that this week with someone you trust. The second thing is this, think of a time when you put your faith in God to do something big. Think of that moment when you finally said, okay, God, here it is. Maybe for some of you that's coming to Jesus, that you were so far gone, that you were so far from a lifestyle of faith, that the fact that you would even darken the door of a church is an anomaly to everyone who knows you. For some of you, maybe it's a business decision that you, that you took part in, you ask God for something big. For some of you, maybe it's a relationship that God mended and put back together. You asked him for the impossible and he wove together what had been separated and torn apart. But the second part of that is, how did he respond and what did you learn? When you finally got up the courage to ask God for something big and all of us have from time to time, even if it was that foxhole prayer where you're getting shot at, you're saying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll quit smoking or whatever. God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll go to church for a year and then we'll see. 
Maybe you gave him one of those prayers. How did he respond? Did he show up? Did he show off on your behalf? And what did that do for you? What did you learn from those moments? And the last thing here is that I think we really need to focus in on and what will you do this week to move away from what is familiar toward, a build, toward building a faith that honors God? What are you gonna do this week? What are you going to do today? What are you going to put into motion today? What action step are you gonna take today to move away from what's familiar? One of the biggest reasons we fear failure is we fear moving out of our box of what is familiar. We fear moving out of our box of what is comfortable. We fear moving out of our box of what is known. So many of us get caught in this, in this trap. God, I can't do that because it's unknown. God, I can't do that because I don't, I don't have all the answers to how that could work out. God, I just can't step into that place of the unknown. For some of you, the unknown is, is like, man, it jazzes you up. It extras, it it gets you all excited. For others of you, the unknown is a paralyzing factor. It, it stops you dead in your tracks. We need to learn to come to a place where we dismiss the ideas of the unknown because there is no real unknown. Listen, in everything in life, there's no real unknown. Not that we have all the answers. I have the one who is the answer. I know the one who is the answer. If you're facing an unknown situation, there's only one place to turn to anyway. When we were dealing with Noble's issue around his ankle, there was a lot of unknowns. How far has this infection spread? Is it only located and isolated in his ankle? Could it be in other joints? Could it be in joints around the base of his skull, which would be almost impossible, impossible to operate on? Could it be in places where it would diminish or debilitate his life from this point on? There were so many unknowns. There was a point that came where we had to say, God, it doesn't matter what the unknowns are. We trust you. We're asking you for the impossible. This infection has to go. It has no place in the life of this little boy. We're gonna do what the doctors have prescribed. We're gonna have surgery on that ankle. But more than that, God, we're gonna believe you that that's exactly where it stops. It has no more function in that little boy's life. And for weeks after the operation and after he was done taking his medication, his mother and I had to commit to that line of thinking. God, we don't know what the unknowns are, but we know that boy's healthy. We don't know what the unknowns could be, but we know that you're healing him, that he is the healed of God. God, we don't know what the unknowns are, but we put our full faith and trust in you. It forced us to get out of our box and to trust God in a way that we have never trusted him before. To come to a blind state of faith. God, I don't know what tomorrow can bring, but I trust you anyway. God, I don't know what tomorrow could bring for that boy, for my life, for this church, for our relationship, for our finances. God, I don't really know what tomorrow could bring, but I trust you. Think of how difficult life is when we don't trust. Think of how difficult relationships are when we don't trust. Can you imagine that every day that you came, came into a conversation with your spouse, you had to ask her or him to prove themselves? I know you say you love me, but you gotta prove yourself today. I don't trust you. I know you said you're gonna be there for me, but I need you to prove yourself today because I don't trust you. Yet sometimes that's how we apply a relationship to God. Every time we turn to him in prayer, we say, God, I'm not sure that I can trust, so God, please prove yourself once again. Rather than living in a place of unadulterated trust that says, God, I have faith, you're gonna work it out no matter what it is. 
God, I have faith that you're going to come through no matter what the issue. I might be scared. I might be terrified. My knees may be knocking, but I have full faith in your power applied to my life. I have full faith that when I trust you, that miracles happen. I have full faith that when I am on the path that you've carved for me, and though it might look impossible, and though the end result might be something far off in the distance, that I can hold it with real faith knowing that, God, that's where you're leading me. We need to come to a place where we learn to get out of our box, to get out of what's familiar, and to blindly follow him in faith. I want to encourage you guys today to take a moment of self-assessment, to take a moment to diminish fear and say, fear, you have no place in my life. Here's the moments where I have blind spots. Here are the issues, God, where I need to trust you more and more. Here are the issues where I need my faith to increase. So God, in these moments, I'm putting away, God, I am putting away all of the fear. I'm putting aside all of the fear. God, in these moments, I'm gonna learn to fear less and I'm going after you and I'm going after faith in you, faith for the impossible. Today, I wanna encourage you, start to muster up that kind of faith. Start to talk about it and speak about it. Make it part of your conversations and your everyday life. When Lori and I decided we were gonna start this church, it didn't happen overnight. It took months and actually a year of planning. It took time for us to develop in our heart the potential of a seed, of a seed of potential of the impossible, that God was gonna show up, that he was gonna honor our request and that this church would be viable. And if you don't think that's a big deal, in the last six years that we've been a church, four churches have started and gone under in less than a year. If you don't think that's a big deal, in the time that it took to start this church and have a viable congregation, those churches have come up and gone with good men, talented men, talented groups of people, wonderful people who love Jesus full of faith. Yet something didn't work out and I'm not gonna judge that for any reason. But I do know this, that it takes a lifestyle of faith to push through to the impossible. It takes a lifestyle of faith to overcome hurdles. It takes a lifestyle of faith to conquer the fear of failure. And let me be honest, in this life, if you meet failure, it's not final. Failure is just a momentary setback. It's only final if you allow it to define you. You are not a failure by anything you've gone through. You are not a failure by any mess up that you've had. You are not a failure just because life wants to put you in a box. You have faith that can overcome. And if you've had to set back, dust yourself off and try it again. If you've had to set back, dust yourself off and go after that goal again. If you know God spoke to your heart, don't you allow that thing to lie dormant and die. The fact is, in the life that we live, the most fertile ground on planet Earth it's not the farm fields that we see out here in the Midwest. The most fertile ground that we see on this planet is the graveyards that we pass by nonchalantly. Are the graveyards that we pass by where men and women are buried with seeds of potential in their heart that were never realized because fear choked it out. If you want to learn how to overcome this fear of failure, particularly fear in, in, in general, in a few weeks, we're offering a wonderful class called Destiny Finder. Scott will walk you through a process to know how you were created, to know what God created you for. And in doing so, you can confidently take another step in faith, knowing what you're called to. 
Too, too many people pass through life and just it's just happenstance of what happens to them. Rather than taking the reins and owning their purpose and their destiny, Destiny Finder allows you to take that moment to own your life of faith. I want to encourage you to sign up for that if you haven't.